Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests joining me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. Yes, you're going to hear profound and unforgettably inspiring stories, but more importantly, you will take away real ideas to apply in your own life. My friends, the goal here is to have guests on this show that will inspire you to choose, and it is a choice, to wake up from accidental living so that you, yes, you, can live inspired. Oh, man, I'm excited about today's show. I am the greatest. I am the greatest. These are some words that you may have heard from a famous boxer uh, almost four decades ago, Muhammad Ali. Well, on today's podcast, we have Muhammad's daughter, Layla Ali. She has an incredible story about being born the daughter of a famous global icon named Muhammad Ali. She talks about dad. She's going to talk about mom. She's going to talk about growing up. She'll talk about mistakes, things that may surprise you about her childhood, the lessons that she learned, how she herself became a fighter, Uh, the record she was able to develop during her career, what life is like today, and ultimately, my friends, what it means for the rest of us as we fight through the ups and downs of our life. It's an incredible conversation from a remarkable woman on becoming a powerhouse in life, a real powerhouse. So my friends, buckle up because it is on. The bell is about to ring Uh, The lights are turning bright. The fight is on for the best of your life, and it remains in front of you today. So, my friends, are you ready? Are you ready for it? Please welcome to the Live Inspired podcast our newest guest, Layla Ali. Hi, how are you doing? I'm happy to be on with you today. Well, I'm delighted to be on with you. It's a a huge honor. For those who may not yet know the name or recognize it, tell uh, tell our followers, tell our listeners a little bit more about you and your life today. Well, I'm a fitness and wellness expert. I'm also a podcast host. I um, host Leilali Lifestyle on Podcast One, and it's also available on iTunes. I'm an author. I've written a book uh, called Reach, Finding Strength, Spirit, and Personal Power, and I'm uh, currently getting ready to... uh, put out my cookbook, which will be available in January. Um, I'm also a mother, I'm a former uh, champion, I'm undefeated uh, four-time boxing champion, and I'm the daughter of Muhammad Ali. Uh, of all of those bullets that you just shared, is there one that when you sit back at night and you shut your eyes, you, you, uh, you almost pinch yourself thinking, I can't believe I, I got to do this or I get to do this today? Uh, no, I don't really have that, that type of thought, um, mainly because I kind of pretty much... Um, methodically and strategically have kind of gone about uh, the things that I want to do. But I mean, obviously, I'm thankful. I'm appreciative um, because it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of um, 
uh, a good team of people around you. So I'm, I'm appreciative of that. Not that I can't, I can't, you know, I don't have the thought of I can't believe it, but it's like, wow, I'm thankful for all that I have for sure. Before we hit record, Layla, you mentioned the, hey, John, there's a chance that a little one might come into the room because uh, we're doing this podcast live and at your house. Uh, how old are your kids? I have an eight-year-old and I have a five-year-old, and even though um, I ask them to give me some time, you know, sometimes <laughs> they'll sneak up the stairs and, you know, <laughs> be in my face. So I was saying, I hope that didn't happen. <laughs> well, there, you, I think you have 24 uh, wins, 21 knockouts. Hopefully we don't have to see 25 and 22 show up today. That's funny. No, never, never would do that, but it's funny because... You know, with my kids, people always say, man, they're your real boss, you know, because they see them get over on me so much. So, <laughs> Layla, let's, let's back the back the train all the way up, not not uh, into the recent past, but way back into your childhood. Tell, tell the folks listening a little bit more what it was like to grow up, Layla Ali. Well, you know, people ask me that question pretty often um, because, obviously, with my father being a global icon and one of the most famous and loved men in the world, um, they said, what was it like growing up Muhammad Ali's daughter? I don't know anything different, you know. Um, but I would just always start by saying there was always a lot of people around, always a lot of excitement because my father loved people. It, um, he loved to entertain. Um, anytime we went out in public, he welcomed a crowd coming around him. The bigger the crowd, the better, you know. And we would be stuck at restaurants and, you know, just going to a convenience store for two hours at a time. So I was always a child that was like, I don't want to go with daddy. Yeah. Because I didn't really like all that. <laughs> But uh, he used to do magic tricks, and he used to do so. I've watched the same, had watched the same magic tricks over and over, and he'd pass out um, pre-signed uh, autographs on his uh, Islamic pam- pamphlets that he'd pass out. Because yes. he felt like I remember him saying, you know, if I put it on this pamphlet, they'll mm-hmm. have to keep it and they'll have to read it. So I'm going to put my signature on. <laughs> so he was still trying to convert people to Islam. So he was he was an interesting man, and and at home it was no different. You had Michael Jackson and Prince and Stevie Wonder and Diana Ross and you know John Travolta, anyone you can think of coming over because they were all fans of Muhammad Ali. So my home was like a public place, pretty much. You know, I'm curious. Uh, you're his baby, you know, and like that's your daddy. Was it kind of hard when you go out and all of a sudden dad becomes this global icon? So he's no, you're, you're no, no longer the only one on his lap. There's hundreds of people around looking for autographs and looking for a piece of Muhammad. It's crazy because I, I, I didn't really separate the two. You know, he always was that same person all the time. So it wasn't like all of a sudden it changed when we went out. You know, when we were at home, he was that person because there was always people around. When we went out, he was that person. There wasn't that many private moments with my father. Um, so it kind of was something that I was just used to. And I don't remember ever thinking to myself, man, I wish... I had private moments with my father. Yes. I think um, I was closer to my mother because I, I did have, she was like my getaway. Yeah. Um, and I'd be able to go up in their bedroom and just kind of close the door behind me. And that was like the, the secret place. But other than that, it's just, that's just what it was. And it's, now as I'm an adult and I have my own kids, I'm, I think now I think back and go, golly, I didn't have, I didn't really have a regular childhood. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was like, I, I can't even imagine because we're home and we have a routine. You know, mom's cooking dinner, yes. me being mom. Kids are doing their homework. It's quiet time. You know, I didn't have that growing up. So, Tell me I'm about your mom. Kid, I'm glad that my kids do, though. I, I think a lot of us have uh, at least images of your father, but we know little, little about your mom. Talk a little bit about your mom. Well, my mother uh, married my father when she was really young. She was, I think they met when she was 18 and married when she was 19. Okay. 
Um, so you can imagine uh, that being that young and Muhammad Ali was courting you and wants to marry you, right? Not only, <laughs> yes. I, not personally, just, I can't imagine, but no, I'm, I'm You sure. can't imagine, but I'm saying the women listening can yes. imagine. Because uh, I can look back on the mistakes my mother's made, and I think, man, she's just a baby, you know, when he met her. And this isn't just like the situation where, oh, he was a celebrity with a lot of money. He was Muhammad Ali. You know, he was beautiful. He was handsome. He was respected. He was like the man, you yes. know, he's a champion. He was... He was um, somebody who who stood up for social justice, all these things. He was everything. So, of course, you'd want to marry him, you know. Mm. Um, but I think she she pretty much was in school. My mom was very, very smart um, and, intel- and intellect and had um, – she had uh, – she was able to go – I'm sorry, she got scholarships to Harvard and mm. Yale and USC, and she was going to medical school, and my dad talked her out of that and was like, no – he didn't want, he just, just, you know, take a year off, come with me, travel with me. And she did. And of course, long story short, she never ended up going back to school. Um, which, you know, obviously that things probably would have went different if that was me. I wouldn't have let him talk me out of school. Yes. Uh, so then she just pretty much was his wife, you know, and, and, and raised us. And she's a very, very beautiful woman. Um, and very sweet person always has been into health and fitness and wellness and has a lot of drive. And I have a lot of the same, attributes that my mother has you know but people don't know my mom so Layla what, what, what have you what, what's one takeaway you've really learned about life or raising kids or health or wellness or life you know whatever from your mother well my mother always was very consistent um, and it was a really a lifestyle for her it was never oh I'm on a diet or oh you know um, I have to this is my cheat day I'm gonna eat bad today right. it was just, she she was just a healthy person she she worked out and it was just a part of her life you know she it was she had her priorities in order. It's like every day I'm going to see her with her workout clothes on. She's going to go to her workout class, and then I'm going to see her eating, you know, a plant-based diet and things like that. Obviously, I didn't know at the time. So that foundation was set there with me, and she's still a beautiful woman now, still in great shape. Um, she looks like she could be my sister. Yes. Um, people usually think she is, and I know from watching her why she's taking such good care of herself. She didn't drink. She didn't smoke. You know, she always put herself first when it came to her health, and she's also into holistic health. So she's taught me a lot of what I know and inspired me to learn even more. What, what, what's one thing that you learned uh, from your father? Um, well, the same thing that most people have learned, that pretty much you can do anything that you put your mind to. So I watched my dad. I'm not a Muhammad Ali fan, obviously. I haven't um, watched all of the documentaries on yes. him, read all the books on him, um, but one thing I know is just the champion in him, just even when he got Parkinson's disease, how he was able to um, fight it, you know, and then be an example to other people with illnesses that you can still live your life. You can still um, get out there with a positive mind and do the things that you want to do. It's all about, you know, what you have in your mind. So he didn't let that stop him mentally. We, we share a father I think we both adore, and we also share the fact that our fathers both have Parkinson's disease. You, you've lost your dad. Mine's still alive. How, how did Parkinson's disease change your father? Well, it evolved. Um, as you know, um, it's a progressive disease, and he struggled with it for almost 35 years and did really well as far as because, you know, some people don't aren't able to, to deal with it that long. But um, he pretty much started his speech started slowing down his motor skills started slowing down um then there's other side effects sometimes just from the med so many medications that you take that yes. cause other side effects yes. so you would get paranoia sometimes things like that and he started punding or he would you know start like he'd get a magazine and get obsessive about things and just start 
pulling the pages of the magazine out and stacking them and wanting to organize things and mm-hmm. he'd keep himself busy in that way then of course you know then at, at a certain point it got harder for him to swallow food um so of course he had to get help with with eating and sometimes pulling food out of his mouth and then you know there, there were so many different things and and he wasn't really able to communicate the way that he wanted to anymore mm-hmm. um as far as speaking um due to the motor skill issue um, but he he had a great quality of life. Um, he had the best care he could possibly have. Um, and you know when he when he passed, one thing I remember feeling is just wow, I'm happy he's in a better place now. And I know I have comfort knowing that that um, because it's hard to watch him suffer because yes. I just feel like he was suffering um, because he was trapped inside of his body. You know that and he you know his spirit wanted to be free. So. So let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, growing up. You uh, you have a, a most unusual father and an incredible mother. Uh, what what were you like as a kid? <laughs> well, it depends on what stage. When yeah. I was when I was in my when I was my daughter's age, around five, I was fine. And then as I got older, when I say fine, meaning pretty normal, yeah, a little shy. Um, then as I got older, um, I always kind of was like a rebel without a cause. Like I kind of you know, was very headstrong, a lot like my dad, you know, very determined to do what it was that I wanted to do. Um, my parents divorced at a certain point when I was, mm, I think it was around eight or nine. And, uh, my dad moved out of the state and both my parents got remarried. My mom married a guy who was pretty abusive emotionally to her. Um, we ended up moving away, um, from the neighborhood that I always knew and grew up in like an hour away, which was like the worst thing that ever happened to me, leaving my, my neighborhood and my friends and with this guy who didn't really care for me or my sister and we didn't really care for him. And that's when my life kind of took a downturn, um, because I was angry at my mom for marrying this man and him treating her the way he was treating her and then her treating us the way she was treating us because she was stressed, you know. And then, you know, as I got into my teen years, I just really started getting into trouble, was just not going to school, ditching, hanging out with the wrong crowd. And, um, you know, it just kind of went downhill from there. (laughs) How how, how far downhill are we talking about? Well, I I actually, in my book, Reach, wrote about it um, because I remember when I first started boxing, people were just like, you know, you're so pretty. And why does this girl want to box? People assume a lot of times that boxers couldn't possibly want to box. Something that you do. Because you have to do it. You grew up in a bad neighborhood and you had no other options, you know. So I had to really take the opportunity to not only explain to people why I had this fighter inside of me, you know, and that's what it takes. I mean, you got to have something yes. there to make you want to be a fighter and, you know, get into the ring. And then um, just encourage others to show them that no matter what has happened in your past, you know, you don't have to let it define you. Because in my past, I actually got in trouble. I ended up going to juvenile hall for three months. I end up from there having to go to a placement where they actually take you out of your home and you live with a group of girls in an environment where, you know, you're being watched and you have to go to group sessions and you have to graduate the program. So I had to go through all of that um, just to get my head turned back on straight. And then from there, that's when I decided um, to get into boxing. I mean, there was a little bit more than that. Yes. Kind of giving you, because I'd always been a very ambitious person. So um, I had went to school to learn how to be a manicurist and got a manicuring license before I ended up getting in trouble. So once I got back on track, I decided to build my clientele, eventually opened my own salon and was on track. And then I saw women's boxing on television for the first time. And I was like, what? I can yes. fight and get paid and not go to jail and get in trouble for it. That's perfect. That's for me. <laughs> Layla, how, how old were you when you were opening up the nail salon? 
I had the nail salon by the time I was 18 um, because what I what I did is I first started um, doing nails, building up a clientele, and then I, I went to this uh, salon owner who had a separate space in the back that I was able to sublease. I had a separate entrance and everything, and so I, I was able to sublease from him and um, kind of went from there. I, before you got in the ring for the first time, uh, legally, if you will, had you <laughs> been in fights before in the playground or backyard or alleys? I had been in fights with boys defending other people. I was always bigger and stronger than everyone else, um, you know, and when people, when I would see someone picking on someone, yes. taking advantage of someone, I was like the good bully. I would step in and, and fight for that person. And, you know, sometimes I would get in trouble, but I didn't care. So, and I'm still that way now. Like, I cannot stand to be somewhere and see somebody, yes. you know, taking advantage of somebody or being mean to someone. I'm not one of those people just going to stand back and go, oh, my God, that's not nice. I'm going to get in there and be like, look, that's not nice, and you need to go on about yes. the business or we're going to have a problem. <laughs> you know, like, I'm still that person now. People are like, you can't do that. I'm like, I, something turns on, and it's I can't odd. help it. It's like I lose my mind. <laughs> I turn into like the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> well, I'm curious how how did your mother and father feel about this gorgeous late teen, early twenty year old want to become a, a, a fighter herself? Well, my mother, when I told first of all, when I first started training, um, I did not um, tell people that I was wanted to box professionally. I told them, oh, I'm just doing this to get weight off, yes. exercise, because I first wanted to find out if it's something I really wanted to do. I'm very, I've always been very, very methodical and strategic about what I'm trying to do from a very young age. So um, I came up with this plan that I was going to go to the gym, I was going to train, I was going to figure it out, and I didn't ask for any help from my father. So my mother knew what my plans were, though, before anyone else did. And she she just pretty much encouraged me and, and always made me feel like I could do whatever I wanted to do. Now that I'm older and the career, you know, is done, she told me that her heart dropped when I told her that. Yeah, I like, can't oh, imagine. God, not like she was just like I don't. She was like not again because she sat through my father's fights and watched him, you know, and saw him end up with Parkinson's, and so her heart did drop. But she wasn't gonna tell me that, you know. <laughs> and my father, when he found out I was boxing, um, that I was going to box, um, he was he heard through the grapevine and he came yes. in town and had a sit down conversation with me and said, Hey, I hear you're you know gonna box or you want to be a boxer. I said, Yep, it's true. And because he knows me, he knows Layla, he knew he couldn't talk me out of it. So instead, he tried to indirectly um, bring up every possible negative thing that could happen. He's like, you know the whole world's going to be watching you. There's going to be a lot of pressure on you. I'm like, yep, I know this. He says, well, what if you, you know, get knocked down or something? I said, well, just like you got knocked down, I'm going to get back up. And he said, well, what if you get knocked out? And I'm like, well, I don't think that's going to happen. But if I get knocked out, then I'm going to ask for a rematch just like you did. Yes. So he, you know, you know, then then he made it very clear that he didn't feel that girls and women should be boxing. It was a man's sport, and I've told him I disagree with that. Um, he didn't like the idea of me even being in the ring with a sports bra and shorts on because he's Muslim and and you know women should be covered. But I'm not Muslim, and I also that's another thing that I stood up for for myself at a very young age with my father, which had already caused um, you know a little friction in our relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I reminded him of that. I'm not Muslim, and so that's you know, a mute point. So here, here's your young daughter again. And this isn't a, the type of conversation that would surprise him. He was used to having them with me. He's like, Look, I'm right. going to do this and I'm going to, you know, you can feel the way that you want to feel, but it's not going to stop me. So one thing I can say is that, um, you know, by a few fights in, I had changed his mind and about women not um, being able to fight or not, you know, shouldn't be fighting. He, he said, you know what, you're right. You know, you're good at what you do. And he saw that, you know, 
that that women could fight. So because he saw me fighting, he saw the other women that I was fighting, and um, he changed his mind about that. So that was a win for me. <laughs> Le- Layla, I, I played a little bit of soccer, a little bit of basketball, and when I say mm-hmm. little, I mean little, little. But before the whistle blows the first time, there, there are butterflies, there's anticipation, there's excitement, and that's me and 10 other guys behind me against 11 other people with no no fists being thrown at all. You know, it's highly right. unlikely to get injured. What is it like to get under that that rope, come into the ring, the audience is around, the spotlight is bright, and you know, gosh, it's about to go on, man. There's about to be a brawl center ring, and I'm in the middle of it. I love it. That's, that's, the, that's the thing. It's, <clears throat> it's different for every fighter, um, how they feel going into a fight. I've seen people who are super, super nervous, and that you know they're going to go and they're going to win the fight. They win the fight in the end, but they're super nervous, uncontrollably nervous. Um, and there's people who are nervous because they're doubting themselves or they feel like they're going to lose or whatever the case may be. I only know what goes on in my head, and I have the, the calm before the storm, and that's like one thing that really amazed people about me is that you, you wouldn't even know I was going into a fight. Like I get ultra, ultra calm, focused, and it's like the moment of truth for me. So my confidence is off the charts when it came to boxing um, because it came from my preparation. So I did everything that I needed to do. I got my sleep. I, I did, you know, my mental focusing. I ate the way I was supposed to eat. I trained for this opponent. And, you know, I feel like there's no app. There's absolutely no way I'm going to lose this fight. It's just how every, with every cell in my body, I go into that ring knowing that I'm going to win that fight. It's not something that I say to anybody. Yes. It's not something I have to say to myself. It's something that I just knew. So for me, <laughs> it was like, okay, I'd always look myself in the mirror, look into my own eyes, deep, deep, deep down inside and say, okay, let's go do this. You know, let's go do it. You said this is, you know, you said you're going to knock her out. You said you, whatever that inside conversation I have with myself, I'm checking myself right now. Like, let's go do it. And for me, I like that there's only one person. I like that there's only one opponent. She got a right hand and a left hand. (laughs) And so do I. So really it just comes down to who's going to be stronger, who's going to be smarter, who's going to dominate. And I go in there like that is me, period. So, like, I don't have that same type of confidence towards everything that I do, but that ring, I owned it, period. Well, you did own it. You ended up 24-0 and in it. I'm curious, though, outside of that first fight and maybe your last fight, was there one opponent or one... uh one situation that you just remember vividly? Whether... Oh, man, there's a few of them. Yeah. Because I've had, um, you know, about four of my fights, I would say I was sick. And, of course, you don't let anyone know that going in. But I would sometimes I would overtrain, like looking back now in hindsight, I know why. I'd get sick before the fight, right, because my immune system would just break down. Um, and I would, like, I remember when I fought Jackie Frazier, Joe Frazier's daughter, yes. I actually had like 103 temperature going into that fight. Like I had really, I was really, really sick. And at the time, my ex-husband was my promoter. It was pretty much our promotion, um, co-promotion with Jackie's um, husband and my husband. And I wasn't going to not do the fight. And I also felt so confident that I was going to beat her. It was going to be an easy fight for me. You know, I had trained, I was ready, so I was like, even if I'm at 40%, I could still beat her easily. That's how I felt. Um, so I went into the ring and found out that it wasn't that easy. Yes. <laughs> so I remember by the third round, I was absolutely, like, so tired that I, w- I wouldn't even sit on my stool. I went to the corner, and I said, if I sit down, I'm not, my legs are going to give, I'm not going to be able to get back up. So I stood up, and I'd never done that before through the, the whole fight. And I remember fighting and just thinking, 
um, like, you got to hang on, you got to hang on, you know, because there's no way I could let her win. Like, that was just not going to happen. But, um, you know, I didn't have any power really behind my punches. I was hitting her with everything. Obviously, it was she was feeling it because I'm at 40 percent, but I couldn't stop her. You know, I couldn't I couldn't end the fight. And I had never been in that situation. And then, you know, she hit me with a couple shots that I felt um, more than I normally would have because I was so sick and so weak. But I mean, I won the fight in the end, but it went to it went the distance, which I wasn't happy about. And if you were ever to watch that fight, you would be able to really see the look on I'll my be face. looking like, forward to it. Yeah, I was not happy um, at the end of the fight because I just, for one, was about to go pass out in my in my dressing room. And that's happened a few other times. I remember I fought this girl named Cassandra Geiger. It was a big, it was a television, a televised fight, and you know I just didn't look sharp. You know I just wasn't really fighting at my normal level. And most people would probably be like, "Wow, you know she just doesn't look good in this fight," but they have no idea. Yeah, it's because I have a hundred and three temperature, and I'm like about to yeah, pass I'm out. Yeah, I'm dying. <laughs> But that's, that's, you know, you can't, you don't make that excuse. You know, you don't, I don't go talk about it after the pre- at the press. I don't make excuses. It's just that I won the fight. That's all that matters, you know. And I stopped the girl, you know, but I just didn't look impressive doing it. So how how special was your fight in South Africa? The final fight, I think it's your final fight. Is, uh, yeah, it was, it was special because it was in South Africa. And it was because Nelson Mandela came and watched me fight, which was a huge honor for me. Um, for those who may not know um, why South Africa is special to you and your family, why don't we add a history lesson real quick? Why is South Africa important here? Well, it was, it was, I mean, it wasn't even just because of my family or, or my dad, you know, the fact that my dad has fought, you know, there um, in the past. It was just, just because just being in Africa, just being the history, just being an African-American and being in that country and then just with Mandela there in, in um, you know, in, in, in his presence made it even yes. more special. So, you know, I was fighting out of the country. It wasn't just an ordinary fight. Now, the girl I was fighting, the fighting circumstances weren't, weren't special at all. It was just the whole environment um, to have, you know, the audience there knowing who my father was, and it was really special for them. So it was a, it was a nice experience. But, you know, my father fought there, fought George Foreman there, and that was a big fight, you know, in his yes. career. Um, and you know, like I said, Muhammad Ali fans would know the significance of fighting in South Africa. Uh, you're not only a fighter, you're a lover and a dancer. Why don't we talk a little bit about dancing? How'd how'd you get into, uh, into dance with the stars? Well, they called me, um, to do the show and this was right at the end of my boxing career when I had already decided I was going to retire after that fight in South Africa. And I got the call and I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Mm. Um, and then I said, wait a minute, actually, you know, let me think about that. <clears throat> Cause I told you I'm a strategic person. And I thought, you know what, <clears throat> this might be exactly what I need to show people a different side of myself because my whole boxing career, you know, I had to, I had to fight to get people to take me seriously. Yes. Whenever you'd see me, I'd be focused and serious, hair braided back, you know, talking about fighting, talking yes. about knocking somebody out. That's a little <laughs> yes. intimidating. Yes, it is. And so now I needed to, you know, make myself a little more, uh, marketable and, and, you know, uh, user friendly. So I had to, I said, you know what, I'm going to do dance with the stars. So I did the show. I'm not a dancer. Um, I know how to dance, but I've never taken a dance class or anything. So it was totally new for me, especially having to depend on a partner because I am used to just depending on myself and I had to depend on my dance partner to teach me all the moves and to prepare me mentally, physically, everything for the competition. 
and we made it to the finals, to the um, final final three of the show, and uh, that was my goal. My goal was to make it to the last show, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily to win, because I know that so many factors come into play when you talk about the judges and the audience and the producers. So I said, I'm not going to really get my heart set on winning, but I do want to go as far as I can go, and, and I did. So I also um, was able to start my, my TV career from that. Yes. You know, I went on to host some shows, one of them being American Gladiators with Hulk Hogan, and have pretty much stayed in that space since then. So um, it's been a lot of fun. L- looking back on your on your television work, is there anything in particular that you're uh, you're excited that you're either doing today or, or you were excited to be a part of? Everything. Most of the shows that I've done have I've I've um, you know enjoyed doing uh, because they all you know every opportunity that's come my way I've always vetted it and thought about it. I don't just take any opportunity that comes my way if it doesn't make sense for me or my brand but you know shows like All In with Layla Ali where it came on every Saturday on CBS um and we would highlight an artist or an athlete or somebody and they were all inspirational shows or Everyday Health with Layla Ali um late night chef fight where it was like a cooking competition because yeah. I started getting into the cooking space and you know I competed on Chopped that was a lot of fun a lot of people I have a lot of fans just from the Food Network competing on Chopped and winning. Um, and that really um, was all strategic as far as just getting into that space and letting people know that I could cook um, and incorporating that with the healthy lifestyle stuff. And then I'm coming out with my cookbook. So, you know, as an athlete, you know, you, you do what you love for so many years that you, you know, you perfect your skills. And then at some point you have to stop. So a lot of athletes go through a depression, especially if they've been forced to stop. I chose to stop, so it's mm-hmm. a little different. But the football or basketball, and the, you know, you, you, your contract just isn't picked up. So then it's like, now what? You go from having something to do every day, having, you know, your 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 time being worth something, and then all of a sudden you're, you have yeah. nothing to do and you're not making millions of dollars anymore. You're like, wow, now what, right? So for me, like I said, it was a little different, but I had to think for myself, okay, what am I going to do now that I love to do that I actually can make money doing, right? Um, so that took me five years or so to figure out through all the hosting and everything that I'm really passionate about health, fitness, and wellness. And um, that's why I've kind of gone off in that direction now. You also wrote a book years ago called Reach, and I think you re-released it recently. Talk a little bit about Reach. First, why did you decide to write it? So I I wrote Reach, um, and it's finding strength, spirit, and personal power, because as a young girl, Muhammad Ali's daughter, there was a lot of um, attention on me when I when I started boxing, and I've always been someone who actually, as a kid, did not want to be, um, you know, a public person, did not want to be a famous person or a celebrity, because um, I grew up watching my dad, and I actually liked privacy. So for yeah. me, um, you know, I had a hard time making the decision to box for that reason alone. So I kind of go through all of that: why I want to box in the first place, you know, how I how I. A lot of people assume that I wanted to box just because my dad's Muhammad Ali, but I actually never not even one time had the thought of becoming a fighter until I actually saw women's boxing on television for mm-hmm. the first time. So for me, that just shows me now as an adult, the power that, you know, being an inspiration to someone can be just from them seeing you do something that they never thought awesome. of before that and being successful at it. So for me, I really want to just share that story. And also um, for young girls, I wrote the book really just to show them. I mean, I've been through um, getting in trouble. I've been through being molested, um, which, a lot, you know, what is it? The numbers like one in four girls. Yes. I don't know if it's changed now. Um, just letting them know that you can go through all of these things. You don't have to let them define you and you can still go on, be strong, 
you know, find um, what it is that you were put on this earth to do that special thing that God put in all of us um, and, and, and just be a powerhouse. You know, you don't have to be, be um, embarrassed. You don't have to hide it. You, not like you have to go write a book about it either, right. but, <laughs> right. you know, but at the same time, you know, I just think it was a very um, inspirational story for people who look at me and they're like, wow, you know, you're, you're such a strong woman. You look like you got it all figured out. They say that now, like, how do you balance everything? I'm like, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Well, and that's <laughs> one of my questions, Layla. You, you are so accomplished, so accomplished. You're only 39. What, looking forward, what are you really excited about? Oh, man, there's so much. Um, I'm not as accomplished as I want to be. You know, I still believe that, oh, that looks good on paper, and maybe that's what will keep you going. You know, I don't, I don't um, you know, buy into all that. I have so many more goals um, that I want to attain um, just in business and my personal life, just bettering myself as a person, um, raising my children, being hands-on with my children. And it is a struggle every yes. day, um, just as a woman. Women understand in general just the the thing the millions of things that go through our head all throughout the day that I need to do this and I need to do that I need to be this for that person I need to do this for that person you know and it's just like you come you just feel like you want to pull your hair out right mm-hmm. um so for me what I've learned is just really and what I'm really trying to be consistent about is putting my priorities in order and I and I already have done that for years but really fine tuning that because I I'm one of those people that makes lists Yes. So anything that I think about, I'll write it down because I don't want to forget and I don't want to have to keep thinking about it. But then I end up with a bunch of lists, right? So what I've started doing more recently is really putting things in order of importance, too. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, I've been doing that. That's no big deal. But like I said, I'm being honest. For me, it yes. took me a minute, a while to even just figure that out. <laughs> so uh, instead of you know, going the whole day with thinking about all the things I have to do and having anxiety about it, I get the most important ones out of the way first. And you have to learn how to say no to people because guess what? Yes. You have a plan of action and then you get calls and you get texts and you get emails and then people get in the way. So what I have had to do in order to stick to that is shut the phone off, say no, you know, like I don't have to just because you're calling me right now or just because you're texting me right now, you need me right now does not mean I have to make myself available to you. So, um, you know, I have to put me first and the things that I need to get done first. And I'm saying this because I know so many people need to hear that. We, okay. I think we all need to hear yeah, it. Yeah, and it's okay. So you can't, you can't be everything to everybody, period. So, <laughs> Layla, one, one of the reasons I heard about you is I, I spoke at a conference about, about 10 months ago, and I know you, you are going to be speaking at this conference soon. Uh, and so I, I started doing a little bit of research on you. You're fast, clearly fascinating life story. When you speak or when people read your book, what, what's uh, the main idea you hope they walk away with? Um, to to just learn how to be you and not let others define you. I think that um, a lot of people, I don't care what level they're they're at, um, you know, economically or, you know, how much education they have, or anything, they, people are always concerned about what other people are going to think, you know, and we sometimes make decisions based off of that. And I just want people to stop caring so much about what other people think and do what's in your heart, because we all only have one life to live. That's one thing we know for sure. And the other thing we know for sure is that we're going to die at some point, right? (laughs) Nothing else is promised except that. My dad used to say, you got to pay taxes and die. That's it. But I mean, you don't even have to pay taxes, right? You know, you can choose not to, right? But you're going to die at some point. And, you know, at the end of your life, I I would want to look back and be proud of my life and what I did. And I wouldn't want 
to feel like I didn't do, you know, reach my highest height because of some letting somebody else's thoughts um, stop me, you know, or, mm. or somebody else define me. Um, you know, so that's, that's just one of the things that I think is just so important because we all have something special, but we have to be able to tap into it, you know, and you can't have the fear and the doubt and the lack and the limitation. And a lot of times we get that from outside sources, you know, and then we ingrain it into our own minds and hearts and it's not even the truth, you know? So the first thing you got to do is just really forget about other people, focus on yourself. You know, I, I'm a very spiritual person. I like to meditate. I like to, like I said, um, think things through and, and really just figure out like, how can I become a better person? Not just how can I make more money? You know, how can I become more popular? It's not just that. How can I become a better person? And everything else is going to come to you, you know, from that. But that's the, that's, First things first. So I know that was a long answer. No, to your it's question. a beautiful answer. Um, but that's the main thing. I mean, because everyone has a story. You have a story, which is a beautiful story. Um, I have a story. My father has a story. You know, everyone has one. But I think at the end of the day, you know, we want to inspire others to to live the best life they possibly can. You know, and one everything that works for me is not going to work for everybody, and vice versa. So like, you kind of pick and choose certain things and and try them you know, and see what works for me in my life, you know? So it's like, I, and we just need to stop judging each other, you know, so much and, and stop thinking that we know, because no, you would never know no. my story unless you, I told it to you or you read it, you know? And, and I, I was just in um, Orlando speaking to some girls at this program called Pace and it's for girls that go through the system or, you know, that have had trouble in their life and they didn't even realize that when they asked me to come speak, I thought they asked me to come speak because they knew what I had been through, but they didn't. So when I was on that stage and all these young girls are looking up to me and then I tell them, like, I went through the juvenile system just like you, you should have heard the gas in the room. They're like, what? Well, what did you do? Did you go for a day? You know, and spend, no, no, I I spent three months in juvenile hall. Like that's real, that's some real time. (laughs) And then I'm like, yeah. And then I went to, you know, a placement and it was a program that, they say takes a year to graduate. But of course, me being me, I was like, "Mm -mm, I'm not staying here a year. So I was the first one ever and probably only one to graduate the program in six months. So um, because I was just like, I want my life back. I learned from my mistakes and I was ready to to be on the straight and narrow. So I did everything that I needed to do to get out of there and get on with my life, which I did. So (laughs) when you speak to those young women, uh, who are one decision away from following a very similar path that, as you did as a young lady. What, what, what is the message you're sharing with them? What, what's the thing that you hope they heard loud and clear, Layla? Well, you know, I have just, I hadn't really had to think about that answer, but I really just share with them that, you know, my life was not perfect. You know, I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth like people would assume. I'm not complaining but we all go through things, but we have to make a decision like right now today, whether you want to go to the left or you want to go right. Do you want to go forward or do you want to go backwards? Do you want to be a victim, you know, and say, well, this person did this to me, so therefore I have a right to do the wrong thing? No, you don't. Because once you realize that, you know, we, we all want to, you know, own our story. You know, we want to give ourselves some time to get over some of the traumatic things that happen in our life. But at the same time, we have to understand that we are a part of a much bigger picture. So you can't sit there and just be like, oh, poor me, because someone next to you definitely has it worse, right? Mm -hmm. So we're not going to sit around here. We're not going to have a pity party, okay? We're going to 
understand that things happen in our lives that, that teach us, they're lessons for us to take and learn and, and, and get bigger and stronger with. So those things did happen to me, yes, but you would have never known now because, you know, I accepted it and I kind of moved on. And now, you know, you can do the same thing. So that's pretty much the message that I that I try to share with people. I think once they realize, like, no, it's not just you, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like everybody goes through something, you know, um, and, and, you know, the more you can separate yourself and get yourself away from the trouble and the people in your lives that are causing you trouble, then the less you're going to go through in those, in those sorts of situations anyway. So, Layla, we, on our show, we always wrap up by asking our guests the same seven questions. We call them the Live Inspired Seven. So I'm, I'm going to have the great honor of guiding you through these seven questions, beginning with number one. What's the best book you've ever read? The best book I've ever read? Correct. Hmm... I would say five languages of love. Mm. Do you remember which one you uh, which one you utilize? It was for couples. Yeah. What's um, your love was, language? Yeah, love language. Did I say the wrong wrong uh, title? But it was it was a great book because I think it was so helpful not only in my marriage but also just in relationships in general. Just to realize that people you know have different languages of love and yes. that you can you can um, you know for friendships as well. So. It was a very helpful book. I love that book. Tomorrow, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions. What would you do with that newfound wealth? I would probably invest a lot of it into the school systems. That would be the first thing. That would be a no-brainer with me, the public school system. Um, I don't like that kids that live in certain areas or go to public school don't get a good education, and mm-hmm. I don't think it's it's helping our country in our future to have the majority of kids in this country just not be educated right um so i would definitely um put some of the money there i think um hmm i don't know what i'd do with the rest of it but i'd be helping out a lot of friends and family of course um but yeah definitely would invest in in our school systems if your house caught fire and your babies and all living things animals spouse etc are out you have an opportunity to run in and grab one thing that really matters to you. What would you run back in and, and grab? Probably my hard drives on my computers um, because they have all of my photos and all of the um, important documents that I need. Um, you know, so, you, you know, they're kind of the same thing as saying pictures and picture yeah. frames and things like that, videos, but they, I have it all on hard drive. So I did actually have a fire, not in my house, but I live in an area that's a high fire zone, they call it. And I was mm-hmm. looking out my window one day, and the hill was on fire. And I'm looking, and I'm talking to my friend. I'm like, I think I see a fire. And it was just coming my way so fast. And my kids and my husband were asleep, and I woke them up. And I'm like, you guys, it's a fire. you know. And, yeah. and next thing you know, the, the, the fire truck's coming down the street saying, everybody evacuate. That's what I grabbed. I grabbed my hard drive. So <laughs> Grabbed your husband, your babies, and your hard drive. Sounds yeah, like I got good... them, of course. <laughs> if you could sit on a bench... Uh, overlooking a beach on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to sit on that bench with? Uh, my father. Yeah. Well, just talk a little bit about that. What would you guys talk about? Uh, the, a lot of things that I probably never had the opportunity to talk about. My father, you know, as I got older and, and you know, old enough to actually come up with some things to talk about, he had Parkinson's and couldn't really talk. So, um, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about my father, but I haven't heard him talk a lot about his life. And, you know, just when I was fighting, I would have wanted to talk to him about fighting. You know, yes. um, 
you know, now I probably want to talk about parenting, parenting, yes. parenting, and um, just, you know, um, what things in his life maybe he would have changed and done differently. And I'm pretty sure I know a lot of those answers. I would have probably asked him, you know, again, to hear from his own mouth, was he proud of me? Yes. You know, um, because my father, one thing about him is he's that person that um, he he always, and I had this conversation with my mom the other day, and I was actually crying, I had tears running down my face as I was asking her, and she, you know, I'm getting teary-eyed right now, but I said, you know, do you think Daddy was really proud of me? And she said, yeah, he was. I said, no, but he, he she's like, he said it all the time. I said, yeah, but he's that person that tells everyone that. Like, if you cook him dinner, no matter yes. who it was, he's going to make that person feel like they're the best cook in the world. Yes. You know, if he, whoever it is, he just tried to make people feel good. So I said, you know, how do I know he wasn't just doing that to me as well, you know? So, um, yeah, I would probably just have that conversation with him. Thank you for sharing that. What, what What's the best advice you've ever received? Best advice, uh, when people show you who they are, believe them the first time. Mm. That's a big one. And if you're wrong? Or if they lied? Meaning? Meaning they're disingenuine somehow. They're, they're disingenuine, you say? Correct. No, I mean, people, people a lot of times, first of all, if you have good discernment and you have, you have your intuition and you, somebody shows you something about themselves, whether it's in a relationship, a friendship, a business relationship, you know, and you're like, hmm, that was kind of off. That wasn't right. I don't like how they handled that. Yes. I you know, see. it's like, that's who that person is. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. they're going to do it again. So for me, it's like, you got to know the first time somebody does something, they're telling you, showing you their character. That is awesome. What it, that's what it comes down to. When they show you who they are, meaning what their character is, because a lot of times those little red flags were there, right? And you don't listen because like, oh well, maybe no. That's who that person really is, and they're gonna they're gonna show you again. I found that with my first husband. You know, yes. like he showed me a lot of things when we were dating, but I was young and naive, and you're trying to make it fit, you're trying to make it work, and then you know the same things start happening, and you're like, man, I should have I should just listen the first time I saw it and just let him go. So, <laughs> what would you? So this is about the time you got married. What would you tell your 20 year old self? 20-year-old self, I would have said, you know, take the time when you're traveling, you're going and fighting in these different countries, take time to enjoy it, take it all in. Don't be so focused and so uptight that you don't enjoy, you know, the travel. Because one thing I think I missed out on is being young and enjoying life, like really just, you know, when I fought in China, when I fought in Germany, when when I went to you know, these different countries for whatever reason, I didn't enjoy anything. I went there to do my business and I left. You know, and now I have kids. I'm not able to just go do what I want to do. And I feel like I missed out on that. Um, you know, I never did those things, you know, so. Uh, it's been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Layla Ali, how would you want your one sentence to read? Layla Ali's the bomb. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest that ever was. And <laughs> humble. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um that you know those those questions are always so hard for me to answer it's like man like i got so much more life to live but i would just one thing i'll just say this i might not be able to give you the answer exactly how you want it but i'm a person who takes great pride in being authentic and being loyal and being a hard worker and um caring about others you mm. know helping others along the way those are the things that are really really important to me and it's important to me that other people see those things about me as well um, so, um, I would say that, that anyone who knows me knows that, you know, they, 
I mean, people know this now. I'm not always like the most social person. Yes. I'm that person that's kind of really has a really small circle of friends or people that I would actually call my friends. But when you got me, you got me. I got your back 100%. Yes. I'll do anything for you. You know, but I'm that same person that, you know, if I, if I detect any fakeness or if I detect any, you know, um, like you're trying to get something from me and you're not being genuine, then I will shut you out so fast. You <laughs> don't even know what's coming. So, you know, so you might meet someone like, well, just didn't seem that nice. I'm like, mm, well, you didn't seem that nice. So, <laughs> well, Layla, I am so honored that uh, you made time for me and you made time for us. Uh, you mentioned earlier that one of your uh, your hopes is to remind people that they are a powerhouse. And uh, after this conversation and after checking out your book, my friend, you, lady, are a powerhouse. I appreciate that. I'm a powerhouse, and I just want people to know that being a powerhouse doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you don't have moments when you feel a little weak or you feel like you can't go on. It's all about how you overcome those things because we're all going to face that things, no, those things, you know, those feelings. Nobody's perfect, but it's about having the courage, you know, to, to keep going. So, um, you know, and, and that's, everyone has it within them. They just have to find it. And that's mm. really the only difference between me and anybody else. Um, I'm not any better than anybody else. I wasn't you know, born with any gifts that anyone else didn't have. And when it comes to just confidence and, you know, self, self-confidence, self should mm-hmm. I say, you know, um, it's just a matter of tapping into that. And when you start believing it for yourself, then you can achieve it. And you hear so many people say it. You say it. I say it. All these people say it. It's not, we're not just making it up, you know. It's just you just have no, to. I... You just got to come on and join the crew. Join the, you know. Well, Layla, thank you for being the example of reaching and overcoming and being a great mom, a great business owner, a great fighter for life. Uh, you, you've inspired us to do the same. My friends, that was Layla Ali. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired. Well, my friends, was she a powerhouse or what? And maybe even more importantly than what what she is, has she inspired you to become a powerhouse in your own life? You know, as I interview folks, I'm always looking for one takeaway. And I think one of the many things that she shared that was so inspiring was this. Make a decision right now whether you are going to own your story, own your decisions, own your life. Own the fact that you don't have to be a victim. You can choose to be a victor. Make that decision right now. My friends, whatever you are fighting through now or fighting toward next, that willingness to own that decision in your own life is so important. Layla Ali has challenged me and I think challenged all of us to own that decision, to be a powerhouse and to become the best version of ourselves. Now, If you've enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you, and I love bringing you these episodes, I love talking to you about great people and the ability we have in our own lives to become a great person, well, help me share it. One of the great ways that you can help me share it is to rate the show, to share it online, to tell the friends that you work with, that you worship with, that you live with, that you hang out with in your neighborhood about the Live Inspired Movement. This is a podcast, I think, uh, in a community that is so full of darkness and despair and struggles that shines a bright light into the darkness. And hey, it's not all darkness. It's not all negativity. It should not all be fear-based thinking. Uh, There's a whole lot of reasons for hope, a whole lot of reasons for fight. And the truth remains that the best is yet to come. 
So my friends, if you uh, believe this to be true, help us share that. Tell your friends, tell the people you work with, tell your spouse and your buddies about the Live Inspired podcast. You and they can learn more about the podcast and learn more about John O'Leary's book. Uh, Learn more about our exciting community at johnolearyinspires.com. That's johnolearyinspires.com. My friends, for this time and until next time, I am John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live inspired.